This is the Manufacturing Report. I'm Scott Paul. Cheap isn't cheap. It costs us a lot of money chasing cheap production to places like China. And the way to analyze it is not as simple as just saying, can I make a widget in China cheaper than I can make it in some town in America? You probably can. Before we get started, an acknowledgement. We're in incredibly challenging and stressful times. And I know coronavirus has impacted everyone listening to this podcast in some way. For a few years now on this podcast, our mission has been to bring to the forefront the voices and stories of workers, entrepreneurs, and others who are making things in our great nation. Now, like a lot of you, we are changing our routine a bit. Recording the podcast remotely and changing up the tempo of releases are two of those changes. But a bigger change is in content. We want to make sure you know what American manufacturers and workers are doing to respond to this massive public health and economic crisis. We recently brought you the story of Dave Koresh and Buffalo, New York-based Oxford Pennant, a really cool company that is reacting in real time to coronavirus. Dave has had some painful decisions to make, but he has a roadmap on how to make it to the other side. So after you listen to this podcast, take a moment to check that one out. And we promise there are more stories like this on the way. And now I also have a confession to make. I'm a huge fan of the guest we have on today, and of his company, American Giant. I've been buying their hoodies, sweaters, shirts, sweatpants, and shorts for years. And so have many of you. But if you haven't, I think you'll become a fan of this company after listening to this. Bayard Winthrop, the founder and CEO of American Giant, is the kind of leader we need today. First, a decade ago, with intent, he developed an all-American supply chain. Second, American Giant is partnering with other leading garment and textile companies in America to rapidly produce PPEs. Now, some estimates suggest we will need 1 billion N95 protective masks for healthcare workers to make it through this crisis. Our domestic capacity to do that right now is just a small fraction of that. But American Giant and dozens, if not hundreds of other manufacturers, are quickly retooling, bootstrapping, innovating, and improvising our way to a solution. My interview with Bayard Winthrop, next on The Manufacturing Report. Hey, Bayard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I know that you and American Giant have been in the news in recent times, and a lot of other companies are pitching into this effort as well. But I wanted to ask you, what motivated you to get engaged and to contribute to manufacturing those face masks and personal protective equipment that our healthcare workers need? What was it that prompted you to shift from making sweatshirts and sweaters and lots of other things into this? Yeah, well, first, Scott, let me apologize for the audio. I'm in my mobile office outside of my house right now in my truck out in front of my home. So apologies in advance for less than perfect audio. But so the way that we got involved is we are a business that has been making apparel in the U.S. now for getting close to 10 years. And our approach has always been building very deep relationships with our supply chain partners, one of whom is a very important domestic manufacturer named Parkdale Mills. They're a very large yarn manufacturer, and they are also important in advocating for domestic manufacturing and policy changes to support domestic manufacturing. They were approached by the White House to see if they could spearhead an effort of assembling a handful of domestic sewing operators and fabric producers to see if we could begin to cycle up to address the massive shortage of medical masks. And as part of that effort, Parkdale reached out to us and asked if we could commit to helping. And, you know, when you get a phone call like that, it's a pretty easy decision to make. And so 
with pretty incredible leadership from Parkdale and, and others like Haynes Brands and Fruit of the Loom and, and the handful of other groups that have been involved. There's been a very high energy and focused effort, and, and I think everybody's been putting their immediate business aside to help. And so uh, it was an easy decision to make. It means putting aside our apparel manufacturing for a while, but we're glad to do it and honored to be a part of it. You and I have talked before just about the kind of footprint that textiles and apparel have in the United States, and it's a lot smaller than it used to be. But I also imagine that an effort like this is a little bit easier because you're a community that knows each other. You talked a bit about the goals that you have in scaling up, and I know that you have it off the ground right now. But what has this meant for your day-to-day operations and American Giants operations to meet this challenge? So the relationship with the supply chain has been incredibly helpful. And the, the mass manufacturing, what it's meant practically speaking, is we've got a couple of facilities outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, and we are converting them all as fast as we can to mass production. So that has meant a complete stop of American Giant work. And that has the implications that you would imagine. It's disruptive. And we've reached out to our customer base and let them know that they're going to be seeing increasing out-of-stocks and shortages while we dedicate ourselves to this. And I'll tell you that our customers, Scott, have been just incredible through this. And the response has been incredible. And I think they feel like they're a part of it by supporting us and, and being patient with us during this. It has been disruptive, but it's been an easy thing to do, and we're going to do it as long as they need us. So I expect this to go on for at least three or four months and and likely beyond that. Well, look, you've defied the odds before, and we'll get into that in a little bit. So I have no doubt that you're going to meet this challenge. And then more broadly, you've obviously said you're working out of your pickup truck now, and I get it with small kids at home. I'm kind of in the same boat, and a car seems like a refuge. But I know that you have retail stores, you have this big supply chain, and you have the online business. So I have to imagine that almost like overnight, things probably changed pretty dramatically for you guys. Well, it did. You know, it it happened in pretty short order. Our specific version of that story was, as it became increasingly clear, our corporate offices are in San Francisco. Our manufacturing is predominantly North Carolina. And as you know, San Francisco for a while there was a pretty primary entry point for people coming in from Asia, from China particularly. And so we spun up, I think, as a city uh, faster than many. And it became pretty clear to us that we needed to begin to adjust our decisions internally around work from home policy with our staff. We began to go in that direction. You know, I'm losing track of time right now, but three or four weeks ago, and uh, along the way, we had to shut our retail doors. We've got retail doors in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York. You know, the silver lining in all this is The team has been incredible. Uh, They deserve basically all the credit, both in North Carolina and here, in making sure we continue to provide functions for our customers and ship product. And our customers have been incredible. I mean, they have stuck with us and continue to support us, not only in buying stuff, which obviously we appreciate and is great, but just supporting the business and commenting on what we're doing and sharing posts about us and even calling our our customer service staff and keeping us working. And uh, all of that has helped to keep my team busy and focused on what we're doing. So we're just lucky. We've got a heck of a customer base and a great team around us that have allowed us to navigate what has been obviously a trying circumstance for everybody as well as we can. Well, I think you guys have done an amazing job. And the fact that you're focused on meeting a public health challenge, my hope is that there'll be some recognition, some acknowledgement for that, and that people will be supportive of your efforts. And look, Bayard, I want to say I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I mean, I go out of my way to buy American clothes, to buy quality clothes. And when I saw nearly a decade ago your hoodies, I thought it was pretty cool, I have to say. And you've been able to make a product line that is both American-made and trendy, which is, I will say, probably really difficult. So I have to ask you, 
if you can just rewind for a few minutes with me, what gave you the idea to do an all-American supply chain for things like hoodies and other products? What was in your mind that said this was a great idea? Well, it's, it's a good question, Scott, but it's also a fairly basic answer. I mean, I'm 50. I grew up in the 70s and early 80s, and I grew up surrounded by the great American brands, you know, the Levi's, Wranglers, Woolrich's, Red Wings, all those great brands that represented to me not just great product and incredible quality, but a value system that it made me feel different about the things I was wearing and buying. I remember really clearly the first pair of Levi's I ever owned. I remember really clearly the first champion sweatshirt that my mom ever got me. And you know, those were indelible memories. And I felt like I had a relationship with those products and those brands, but they were not only rooted in great quality, but also made me feel like they were rooted in Americanness in the sense of who I was and what I wanted to be and all those things. And I've spent 20 something years of my career manufacturing stuff and, and most of that time moving stuff overseas. And as I began to think about that stuff and look around the marketplace, and I became really aware that not just in apparel, but in apparel specifically, we'd really let that go. That there were very few of those brands, if any, left that were really standing for a set of values that I respected and, and a quality standard that I really connected to American and American made. And, and I felt as the internet was reframing all the things that were possible for businesses, I began to ask a question about whether we could do it differently and, and recommit with better technology and better distribution systems to launch a business that really recommitted to those values and that quality. And so that was a sort of idea. And then once I believed in that, I became pretty convinced that, that I wasn't the only one out there that felt that way. The process of getting to know the people and the businesses that were still doing great work here in the U.S. happened pretty quickly. There's a lot of amazing talent still left in the U.S., incredible business like Carolina Cotton Works and Parkdale Mills that I mentioned earlier and little places like the gin in Enfield, North Carolina that we work with and Clover Knits and the list just goes on and on and on. We've got an incredible list of supply chain partners and we started talking to them and saying, how do you do good things? And how do you make a great sweatshirt? How do you make good blue jeans? How do you make a great pair of pants? And lo and behold, you talk to people that are a lot smarter than you are, that know a lot more about manufacturing blue jeans or sweatshirts or t-shirts than you do. And you listen and you follow what they tell you to do, You good product comes out of it. And so, you know, we've been lucky enough to have that resource available to us and great partnerships that have really helped us understand what really great quality looks like and kind of recover that again and put that back into the market. So it's been a real labor of love, but also it has been a huge team effort. And there's a long list of manufacturers and people that work in those companies that have contributed to the things that we've become known for. So. That's sort of the story. <laughs> it really is an amazing story because, as you know, a lot of folks in the business or a lot of folks with MBAs, their instincts are like, if you have a great idea, you've got to find a place to make it overseas. You're not going to be able to do it here. And so I like your story in part because you've totally proved them wrong. But I want to ask you, there was a bit of risk, obviously, and you were trying something pretty new. And it wasn't about nostalgia, although I know you finally recall the American-made clothes you wanted to bring into a modern marketplace. So when did you know that you had kind of gotten over the hump, that you had a sustainable business, and that American Giant, the company that you had imagined, was actually going to be here for a while? Well, that's a good question. So there's a couple different components to that, but I would say that the simple answer is we started shipping product in 2012 and in February that year. And we, that first year, kind of bounced along. The business was growing, but it was still very, very small. And late that year... Slate Magazine wrote an article about us that looked at what we were doing and the product itself and published an article, I don't know, in November or December of that year 
It was titled The Greatest Hoodie Ever Made. It is not an overstatement, Scott, to say that if that article hadn't been written, I don't think we would be here today, certainly not at the size that we're at today. And so that was just one of those moments where you just get really lucky. The reporter was a very good reporter. He's now a senior person at the New York Times, but back then was just a scrappy young reporter that was writing good stuff and wrote a great in-depth article that just went totally viral. And that article did a couple of critical things for me. I think, number one, it, it drove a ton of business that gave us more scale, more confidence, more capital, all those things you need desperately in those early years. But the other equally important thing is it confirmed for me that my instincts about what the marketplace was looking for were right. And so that, I can't overstate that piece enough, that getting that confidence and getting that sort of real world confirmation that people are seeing it the way that you're seeing it allows you to shift into a higher gear. And so that was crucially important and was probably the moment where we all had the confidence to say, okay, we're onto something, we gotta get going after it. And I also, Scott, if you'd allow me, I'd love to circle back on the comment about MBAs and experts and stuff. And, and I don't want to be overly critical there, but for your audience, I do want to make a point, which is there is a difference between what policymakers in DC and you know the quote experts in places like Harvard tell you about what is capable and possible in the marketplace and in American manufacturing. And I just had gotten really sick from hearing from everybody I spoke to, oh, you can't do it anymore. It's not possible. And yet I was seeing something very different in the real world. I'd been making stuff in China for a long time. I saw the quality and the challenges that came along with that. And maybe more importantly, all the consequences that came out of decisions about moving manufacturing over 30 years to China. I just think that we all benefit a bit from not always listening to the experts and people in D.C. They know a lot less, I think, than they think they do. Look, that's something you and I both have in common. We completely ignore their advice and try to chart our own course. So I want to ask you this. Someday we'll be through this crisis. I don't know when that's going to be, but you wrote something really poignant on LinkedIn in early March, and we'll share that with our listeners. And it's talking about how this is a bit of a reckoning for the idea that we can outsource lots of stuff and that cheap goods ought to be the biggest priority that we have. I'm wondering if you could expand on that. Why is it important to rethink some of this and to have the intent that you did in creating an American giant and an all-American supply chain? Well, in my mind, we've spent the last 30 or 40 years pursuing a policy of encouraging all of our domestic manufacturers to chase the cheapest possible means of production wherever it took them. And that typically means to places that have low environmental standards, poor human rights records, no minimum wage laws, no worker safety standards or low worker safety standards. And we've done that while we've kept our domestic manufacturing partners to an incredibly high standard, appropriately so, I would say. So very strict environmental standards, minimum wage laws, worker safety laws, human rights protections. Those are all things that are good things. Uh, we care about those things. They're there for a reason. But it makes no sense to me to spend 30 or 40 years with a policy in place that encourages all domestic manufacturers to go overseas, chase manufacturing costs, drive very high margins for them. So you see a massive run-up in the stock market. But meanwhile, basically, the destruction of middle-class manufacturing towns all across the country has effectively ceased functioning in many cases. They've lost hope. They've got very few jobs. We're all wondering why. Well, the answer is that cheap isn't cheap. It costs us a lot of money chasing cheap production to places like China. And the way to analyze it is not as simple as just saying, can I make a widget in China cheaper than I can make it in some town in America? You probably can. 
But if you monetize the rest of the cost, the impact on our economy, our culture, our community, our town's jobs, and by the way, what has been 30 or 40 years of investing in Chinese infrastructure and standing up Chinese infrastructure while our own has fallen behind, that conversation is one that we need to be engaging with in DC as members of this country, as communities, because we're in a place now where we don't manufacture the pharmaceuticals we need. As much as we love being a part of the medical mask effort, it is crazy that a business that makes t-shirts and sweatshirts is having to pivot to make medical masks. You know, you've got GE that is entering into the fight to make respirators because we don't have that capability domestically anymore. That's crazy. And that, in my mind, rises to a level that is higher than just the simple, can we make things a bit cheaper in, over in China? And if we do, everything's going to be great. It rises to a larger question about what is in our national interest and how do we protect our capability to do the things that we need to do to thrive as a country? And so, you know, I've been writing about that a lot on LinkedIn. I, it's something I care a lot about. I think it's a conversation in that context that apparel plays a small role, but it is an important example of what we have let go over the last 30 or 40 years. And I hope that we use this moment to maybe rethink that and reframe it a bit, because in my view, we need to be doing it on behalf of us as citizens and kind of, you know, what we care about for this country. Bayard, I couldn't agree with you more. And I look forward to exploring mutual interests after this, because I do think this is a wake-up call. And unfortunately, there's still pushback on that. And it's something that's so surprising to me, given what we've seen here and how some of our capabilities have declined, which has been one of the consequences of all of this offshoring. And again, as you said, it's about more than cheap goods. It's about this loss of know-how and the ecosystem for production and the ethos that we have had and the erosion of good-paying jobs. And I think there will be a reckoning on this. And my hope for future generations is that we get it right this time. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, hey, Bayard, thank you so much. Look, I appreciate your phoning in from your remote office. I can relate to that. And I wish you the best of luck in the days and the weeks ahead. And I want to thank you for your efforts personally. And then obviously for the efforts everyone at American Giant and your supply chain are making to get much needed gear to our healthcare professionals to help us get us through this crisis. We really, really appreciate it. Well, Scott, thank you. And thank your listeners for caring enough to shine a light on it. We appreciate it. And, you know, we're all ultimately in this together and we need people that are acting as megaphones. And so we all appreciate your efforts as well. So stay safe through all this and uh, stay healthy. And we'll see you on the other side of it. All right. Be well yourself. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. And that will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. To learn more about American Giant, you can visit American-Giant.com. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Kat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And for you, the listeners, for engaging with us and for giving us great episode ideas. Now, if you know of workers or companies close to you that are contributing to the massive effort to make PPEs and other essential products in this crisis, let us know about it. And be sure to subscribe to The Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, let us know what you are thinking by leaving a review and a rating. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or you can connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.